Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme, we are going to be talking about the uh, the temporary eviction ban that has been put in place by the government. We are going to be talking about that in a little while on the uh, programme. And I really think this temporary eviction ban could not come at a better time when you read in the papers today that more than half of families becoming homeless are becoming homeless because they've been forced out of private rental accommodation. And this is people who are deciding to get out of private rental accommodation. Some landlords are deciding house prices are so high, this is a good time to sell uh, a property. Others, the what we've often referred to as the accidental landlords, people who never planned on becoming uh, landlords, are now seeing this is a good opportunity to get out of the market with house prices going so high but of course that is really affecting the families who are forced to no fault of their own either to live in private rental accommodation because they can't either afford to buy a house or they're waiting to get a social housing through the local authority and what's what's spoken about in the papers today are figures that have been given to government ministers Now, seemingly the cabinet has privately been told uh, about the, the housing crisis and how the current housing crisis is pushing the state's system of emergency accommodation for those presenting as homeless. It is now pushing them to crisis point. And they they talk about the 19 local authorities all over the country who are now at capacity, which means in the next few days, if anyone presents as homeless in 19 of our local authorities, there literally is no room at the inn. And they focus on the Dublin region homeless uh, executive. They are struggling so much in Dublin with people becoming homeless that they are being forced now to go to neighbouring counties. They are housing people in Kildare, in Meath and in uh, Wicklow. So that's why what the government did this week, the move by the government to introduce this five month ban on uh, evictions. And of course, the government did it to try to avoid overwhelming the homeless services as we head into the winter months. But it is already looking like in many parts of the country that the homeless services are already overwhelmed. Now, it's hard to get an accurate figure on how many people that this five month ban will actually help. But it has been speculated that over 2,000 households, ha- householders will be saved from being asked 
to leave their rented accommodation over the next uh, five months. Now, the number of notices of termination served increased by 47% and that was between the first and second quarter of this year. So there's a lot of landlords trying to get out of the market. Nationally, when you look at the overall national figure, 40% of those who entered emergency accommodation between February and August of this year are saying, look, we had to leave a private uh, rented a private rented home. Ministers were also told of an emerging trend of an increased number of migrants. And obviously when migrants present into this country, the first place they go is to the state's homeless services looking for accommodation. Non-Irish citizens now account for 37% of adults who are currently living in emergency accommodation. The sharp increase in families presenting as homeless, that's been illustrated by statistics which has been presented to the Cabinet showing that for the second quarter of this year 98 families in Dublin alone entered emergency accommodation. Ministers were also told that the Department of Housing is now gathering information from all of the local authorities and they're they're asking for information on the citizenship that the, of those who are entering the emergency accommodation. I suppose they're trying to now work out how many are Irish people who are entering accommodate, needing accommodation, how many are Ukrainian uh, citizens and how many are asylum uh, seekers coming from other countries. So looking at the figures up to the month of August. In the month of August, when you look at all of the local authorities across the country, 63% of uh, adults were Irish. So the vast majority in homeless services are our own. Uh, 21% are from within what's called the European Economic Area. So I'm assuming that they don't break it down, but I'm assuming that the majority of those are people fleeing the war in uh, Ukraine. Uh, then 16% then were from outside of the European Economic Area and are the UK. So I'm assuming that the bulk of those are going to be people who've arrived in Ireland uh, looking for to claim asylum here. So they will be asylum seekers who are different, a very different group of people to those that are fleeing the war in Ukraine. Now, the most recent information for last month, for because they were August figures, so the most recent information, which would be for the month of uh, September, shows emergency accommodation is now at capacity in 19 local authority areas and it's close to capacity in another three local authorities. The remaining five, and they in the main are rural local authorities, they say they are relying almost exclusively on commercial accommodation. And I take what they mean by commercial accommodation, they're talking about hotels and uh, B&Bs. But those local authorities have now been advised that that accommodation, that commercial accommodation, will no longer be available. And that's due to the pressure that's been caused by the International Protection Accommodation service because they are securing the accommodation for refugees arriving from the Ukraine and we've heard all over the country where hotels now are exclusively being taken over uh, by the International Protection Accommodation Service and those hotels are exclusively being used to house Ukrainian refugees and in some cases particularly in rural areas that wouldn't have a lot of accommodation available those local hotels those local B&Bs had been used to house homeless people but if those hotels now are being set aside for the International Protection Accommodation Service, they're not going to be available to the local authorities. So there is a real, real problem 
out there at the moment. So I think the government are certainly going to say we have done the right thing in at least giving a little bit of respite on the homeless service for Irish people who might find themselves uh, homeless with this eviction ban. We're going to be talking about it in a little bit more detail and in particular trying to find out exactly how it's going to work for people. Your thoughts welcomed on it 0818 uh, 103 103. John Paul taking the cause. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862103103. And then we've had this has been coming in across uh, the week and I've also noticed there's another um, one in uh, today uh, showing uh, a, a similar call as well and it is to do with the price of milk. Let me go to the comment that's come in to John Paul from Eileen saying, has anybody else noticed the price of branded milk has been uh, going up? Uh, research from the Consumer Association of Ireland have showed that on average milk has increased over the, ye- over the last year uh, going up by as much as 50% but some are suggesting that the supermarket's own brand milk that that hasn't gone up by as much in price. Now we would need people who are really price conscious who know the difference between the branded milk and the supermarket own brand. Have you noticed? Because generally speaking when they all say if they all go up by 20% by 20 cent it'll be 20 cent across the board. It'll be 20 cent for your branded milk but it'll also be 20 cent for the supermarket own brand milk. But some of our very very keen watchers of price of price watching have noticed that the branded milk seems to be going up further uh, but we had a listener on yesterday asking if I could find out why has milk gone up by so much and what is happening and of course the reason why and it isn't just milk but certainly it is affecting uh, milk and other dairy products uh, is because the cost of electricity has gone up by so uh, much. I saw a report that came out in August that was saying that the cost of electricity has gone up by more than 86% in the last year and that is the main reason that's causing dairy products, things like cheese and milk and yoghurt and butter uh, to increase because when you look at things like milking and when you look at things like manufacturing they're all energy intensive tasks so for all of the farmers that are doing the milking all of the dairy production companies that are doing all of the manufacturing they're seeing a massive massive increase in their electricity bills coming in every month so of course they have no other choice but to pass on those costs to uh, consumers and I know in the month of August uh, when when you looked at year on year from August of 2021 to August of 2022, it was reported that milk, eggs and cheese had gone up by 53%. That was just in that 12-month period. And we know energy costs have gone up again. I mean, they went up. Most of the companies put up the price of their electricity on the 1st of October. So you can assume that that's the knock-on effect now we're seeing when you're going in to buy your milk, your eggs, your cheese, any dairy products or indeed anything else at the supermarket. But particularly anything that comes with, that is manufactured or produced and it is energy intensive, the task uh, is, then you certainly are going to see increases. Is it the last of the increases? Unfortunately, I think not. Sheila was on to us. This is to do with housing and lack of housing. And what I'm really hoping in this moratorium, this 
ban on evictions and people have been asked to leave their private rented accommodation that while that's going to give a little bit of breathing room to people in rented accommodation I'm hoping that that will also give a bit of breathing room and a bit of space to the government to really really focus on what we can do to get us out of this housing crisis that we are in Uh, everything that needs to be thrown at it now I mean we saw what could be done during Covid times when collectively heads got uh, together and uh, we were in a crisis with the pandemic this is a housing crisis that needs to be dealt with as well but Sheila has a suggestion so talking about a shortage of houses I like many other pensioners I'm rattling around in a big four bedroomed bungalow though I love my home and I've been living here for over 30 years I really wouldn't mind downsizing but only if the government made it worth my while when I say make it worth my while, what I'm thinking of is no tax to pay or stamp duty, etc. Just a thought, said Sheila, that if incentives were put in place for people who are in what were once large family homes, they now no longer need a large family home. And I know whenever we mention this, we'll have a flurry of people saying, I don't want to leave my home. I don't think anybody should be forced to leave their home. But if like Sheila, and I think Sheila's right, there probably are others as well who feel that the house they're living in is too big and if you are living in a big house it's more expensive to heat it's more expensive to maintain so for an older person they might be better off and might be a lot more comfortable in a smaller unit but those smaller units have to be made available but do we need to incentivise Sheila reckons she needs some kind of an incentive that would that would encourage her to sell up her four bedroomed bungalow move to maybe a one or a two bedded uh, unit but she doesn't want to be caught with having to pay tax or having to pay stamp duty do people feel incentives should, it, should be put in place and if incentives were put in place would more older people consider moving out of a larger family home making it available then to a younger family that needs the house with the four bedrooms and uh, but but we certainly would have to be building more of those uh, smaller units I think if we were to go down that route but good suggestion uh, Sheila Uh, stay safe 0818 103 103 and then on the cost of milk we have people keeping a very close eye on the cost of milk Margaret in Tallow says Patricia I only pointed out to you last week when I went to buy a two litre drum of branded milk at my local supermarket that it had suddenly gone up by thirty uh, percent, so uh, thirty cent. So yes, milk certainly has been going up. That's on a branded two-liter drum of milk, and then own brand milk. Uh, a listener says, "I've noticed light milk in one of the German retailers. It's the two-liter carton. The two-liter carton used to be one euro forty-nine cents. It's now two euro and nine cent. That's a sixty cent." Uh, increase. That is a big big jump indeed. So cer- certainly milk price is going up but as I say it is to do with uh, e- energy costs. And Anne said I went to buy butter and it has gone up by €2.20 to €3.34 I actually was only talking about butter I was buying butter uh, lo- I-, I love real butter I don't, I went, I've gone through all of those different spreads and all of that and I know the spreads are probably better for you but I think even use a smaller amount of real butter there's nothing like real butter on something like warm toast I don't know what it is it's, it's absolutely gorgeous but I was only noticing I reckon I reckon in since this cost of living crisis started I'm open to correction but I reckon a pound of butter 
um, has gone up by is it still I, I call it a pound of butter I don't know if it's still a pound anyway you know the block of butter I'm talking about the large block of butter I reckon it's doubled in price I, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that it is uh, doubled in price I'm open to correction on that but I think it has but Anne reckons it's gone up by two euro 20 cent and she's now paying 3 euro 34 cent for the brand of butter that she buys but when when I mentioned about the energy costs and the anything that is energy intensive it's across all of the dairy products it's right from milking the cows right the way up along to making the butter to making the cheese and I'm assuming it's the same for yogurts uh, etc 0818103103 John Paul taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Now, for those renting, there was a bit of relief this week to hear that the Cabinet has signed off on a winter eviction ban to explain what it actually means uh, for people and indeed for uh, landlords who are fearful the measure may be extended. I'm joined uh, by Housing Charity Threshold. I'm joined by John Mark McCafferty. Good morning to you, John Mark. Good morning, Sienna. Yeah, the line just dropped there. Oh, apologies. you're okay. You're okay. You're, you're very welcome. Now, I mentioned in the introduction that the Cabinet has introduced this winter eviction ban and I saw that the Peter McVeary Trust strongly welcomed the ban. How important, uh, John Mark, do you believe this move is, particularly at this time? Well, I mean, I suppose, unfortunately, like, a, mor- a, mor- a moratorium on evictions, as has been kind of set out, is, we believe, necessary. It's the least worst option because um, the number of people who we see and, uh, and advise who are being evicted from their homes, private rented sector, uh, within the private rented sector, um, with literally no alternative options for other accommodation, other private rented sector housing or, or, or apartments, um, it has increased massively if you compare, um, you know, the average number of tenancy terminations that we see this year. It's around just over 460 um, per month. That's almost double what the situation was in 2019, immediately before the pandemic. Um, and why that's compounded is that, um, I've mentioned the abject lack of alternative accommodation, which was less of an issue, say, four or five years ago. People may have you know, faced a, a tenancy termination, but they had options. They don't have those options now. And even if they turn to emergency homeless accommodation, that's completely maxed out in terms of what the charities uh, and, and the local authorities are able to offer. So th- that's why, I mean, it, 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 what's interesting is it wasn't just, you know, charities like Threshold um, calling on this. It, it was within government that there were big noises being made um, that something had to be done because the, the local authorities um, had no more options, they had no more capacity in order to, to house families. And obviously, we're moving into winter. We, we have sustained cost of living increases. We've sustained increase in energy costs. So um, affordability uh, within the private rented sector is going to be at uh, uh, under huge pressure. So that's the reason why this moratorium was called. Yeah, because I was only reading in the papers this morning that 19 local authorities are at capacity uh, when it comes to their homeless uh, services. I mean, they literally, that's literally saying no room at the inn. Yeah, I mean, this is, I mean, I know it's very easy to say that something's unprecedented in the housing sector. You know, various commentators have been 
saying this for years, but this particular um, scenario is uh, is something we haven't seen before because it's a combination of um, a ramping up in, in, in evictions, and evictions have been a problematic over the last um, eight years or so, but it's compounded by the scale of the evictions, um, the lack of alternative accommodation in the private sector. If you go to, say, Daft or my home and you, and, and you look um, for available accommodation in towns, villages, cities across the country, you know, in Cork, for example, um, there's just so little in the way of, of accommodation that when people are, are given that notice, and even though they may have a very long notice period, it could be for maybe six months or nine months, um, if there are no homes that you can source, um, it doesn't matter how long your notice period is because um, you just don't, don't have the options. Then you turn to your local authority and they're saying, we have no emergency accommodation. Um, so it's just a very dire situation. And I guess these next five months, um, they're a breathing space for local government and for central government. But within that breathing space, they really have to come up with solutions and come up with additional supply um, that's not easy. Um, it's really, really challenging. But that's the, the challenge that they, they have to uh, apply themselves to because of the unprecedented um, situation facing uh, renters in the private rented sector, families, individuals, children, you know. And when you look at the reasons why landlords are deciding to get out of the market, is one of them because house prices are going up and are going up so much that they just think this is a good time to sell? Yeah. Um, that that's one of the reasons. A couple of years ago, also there was there was um, capital gains tax reasons. Um, landlords were, were leaving because um, they were, they were their exposure to tax was was less if they if they sold if they bought at a certain time and sold at a certain time they'd be less exposed to capital gains tax. Now it's a case of um, obviously kind of a, a greater appreciation in, in the um, in the asking price for houses and apartments. Um, obviously, we're coming into kind of a more uncertain time now, but. Up until now, yes, it has been a time to, 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 to sell. Um, and that is a real concern, obviously, for us because we advise and we assist in tenants and their families in the private rented sector. It means that the sector is an incredibly unreliable and uncertain and unpredictable sector to live in. Um, and it's very difficult for you to know with any certainty that um, you can stay in that home, in, the, in that community that your, your children are going to school in um, if there's you know, a possibility and, and that possibility is being realised on a daily basis that the landlords are in. It's a dreadful way to tenancy. live. It's, just, it's a dreadful way to live. And, you know, and when, when we talk about that the, the emergency accommodations at capacity in 19 local authorities and another three are close to capacity, what happens to people and families when they are homeless in those areas? Yeah, um, I suppose what's happening is, and what we are hearing through our services, is that um, uh, people and, and, and families are having to fall on the, the mercy of family and friends to stay in a spare room, to couch surf, sofa surf, um, maybe move from from family to family or friend to family. Um, it's an incredibly... Um, uh, unpredictable, uh, potentially chaotic, um, uh, and, and very difficult and stressful time for families and for individuals um, who have been, you know, independent and, um, you know, uh, occupying a home 
uh, you know, it's a landlord's property, but it's a tenant's home, and they may have been in that home for for many years. Uh, the landlord sells. Um, the the tenant has to kind of um, honour that um, notice of termination, um, and they're left with you know the, the option of moving from place to place, moving from family member to family member. It, it's a very very difficult situation for people. It's an even worse situation for for children if they have to uproot from schools or, such or a, such, across such a chaotic way uh, to live. And of course, it is a no fault eviction, which means if you don't pay your rent, or you're antisocial, or you're wrecking the property you can still be evicted. Yes, so I think that's important to note that um, there are grounds on which um, tenancies can can still end. Um, and you mentioned their um, antisocial behaviour, so um, that that is a, a grounds for the, the, the lease terminating regardless of this moratorium. Um, the other one is about kind of non-payment of rent. Now, that's um, a bit more uh, difficult to define because some people won't pay their rent and some people can't pay their rent. And the challenge is to um, identify the, the, and, and distinguish between the can't pays and the won't pays. That, that's difficult to do, but generally in our experience, um, those who can't pay, are, they're engaging with their landlords, just like people in debt would be engaging with their energy companies or, or, or other creditors, um, and trying to kind of uh, come up with some kind of repayment solution. Um, it's where people are, you know, are simply not engaging with their with their landlord that um, that would come into to play. Our experience is that the vast majority of tenants will, you know, want to engage with their landlord even if they're struggling with with the rent, and that's where we come in to assist and advise and, and mediate often between tenant and landlord and negotiate. Mm. Kind of but do you, but do, do you worry over the winter months with, you know, rising energy costs, rising costs of living? Do you worry that m- more tenants may fall into arrears? Yes, that's a real worry for, for us, uh, Patricia. And that's why at our budget submission, we asked for some kind of arrears fund um, that would help to kind of cushion um, the situation facing uh you know, lower income renters, fixed income renters, as we move into, you know, sustained high uh, cost of living, <laughs> excuse me, and also this, um, in the coming weeks and months, uh, we're all going to be hit by quite frightening energy bills, and um, that will affect uh, those on lowest incomes and lower incomes disproportionately, as they also um, attempt to um, afford and pay for their rent. Um, and, and that's that's a real a real issue over the winter months. At least with this moratorium, that it, there's some level of reprieve, but at the same time, um, arrears could build up uh, and will build up um, in in, in a, you know for for various tenancies. So we need to see some kind of um, concerted um, approach to those to, to that arrears management, to repaying, you know, whether it's to do with warehousing debt or or whatever. Um, we have experience in this country from the last global financial crisis about how to deal with with debt um, and, and liabilities, and, and maybe we can apply some of that um, that approach to to the rental market in the coming months. Okay, and also just for people, uh, some families and some single people will have already received a notice to quit from their landlord. How does this winter eviction ban affect them and that notice to quit? Yeah, that's a good question. I've been asked. Uh, on a number of occasions, I, I think that notice to quit may pause, but I'm, I'm just cautious because I've heard different and conflicting uh, reports on that. 
and I guess we'll know uh, more detail on that when the legislation goes through the doll early next week. Okay. Um, but um, I'd imagine um, I'd be surprised if um, notices were, were able to continue to to run through the winter because uh, because in that case um, it means that all those who have a notice of termination right now uh, will be, unless they challenge that notice of termination or unless that notice of termination is invalid they will be facing eviction over the winter months and, and I'm sure that's yeah. something the government wishes to avoid. Yeah, I, yeah, I heard of somebody that they got their notice to, to quit. It was all legal, everything's above board, but like it's the 12th of December. You just think, oh my yeah. God, two weeks uh, before Christmas. And then, John Mark, what are your concerns of what will happen when the eviction ban is, is lifted? Yeah, the, the, obviously the concern there is that we're, you know, we're, we're pausing um, a process only to kind of resume that process in, in, in the end of March. And obviously we, we saw this before, you know, we came out of those eviction plans during uh, the, the worst parts of COVID. Um, and in a way, you could argue that some of the, uh, the evictions, a good number of the evictions that we um, we uh, we were seeing now are a result of the, uh, the the eviction bans kind of being released and, and uh, landlords um, now looking to, to terminate those, those tenancies. So yes, I mean a, a lot. That's why we have to uh, redouble our efforts across the the government and, and the, the voluntary organisations to ensure that there are options for for renters that there is enhanced supply um, when you know the end of March and beginning of April comes. So that you know, private renters who are facing um, tenancy terminations at that stage um, have have greater uh, access to, to housing um, and alternative housing options. And um, that's difficult. Um, it's difficult to, to provide that supply. But I mean, there are some encouraging signs in the sense that you know more um, social housing coming on stream by the approved housing bodies. And um, we're seeing um, the introduction of uh, cost rental housing. It's not scale that's, that's necessary but it, at least it's a start so those things kind of ramping up would be really really important um, at this stage Okay and it's during these next uh, five months that they, the government really need to accelerate the, the delivery of affordable houses for sure. Okay that's where we leave it John Mark thank you for that and thanks for joining us Thank you Patricia. Good morning to you that is John Mark McCafferty who is with the housing charity Threshold. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk cmig.ie Since the closure of a section of the Mallow to Mitchestown Road we We've had a number of complaints from people living on that route about heavy goods vehicles and other drivers ignoring the designated detour routes to discuss the problems that they are creating and what are possible solutions. I'm joined by North Cork Independent Councillor Frank Roach. Good morning to you, Frank. Good morning, And and you're welcome. Now, some of these HGVs are ending up on very, very rural roads. Firstly, are they causing damage to the roads? Uh, yes, certainly they will be causing a certain amount of damage, but it's the, it's the, the, the set-down system uh, that's actually causing an awful lot of this, because last Thursday morning I came across a truck, a 45-foot truck, taken up a narrow laneway where you would not take a car and trailer. Now, that man had absolutely no English. He was a farm driver, and he just showed us that he sat down where he put in cashel. Now, he'd driven the fellow's Herbert's garage on the Mallow Mitchell's on road, and the 
the road is completely blocked off from there. Mm. So he, he set that, took him up towards, um, we say north of, of, of that road, and took him around back roads. Now, to be fair, three quarters of the way, the lorry took to sufficient, uh, the road would have been good enough to carry the lorry. But the last two miles of it, you would not take a car and trailer. And the set they've actually took him up there. And of course, that gentleman, not local to the area, a local person would have known. You can't you shouldn't yeah. be driving, uh, driving up that road. So it's the sat-navs are the problem in that the sat-nav will send people the quickest way, yes. which in many cases can be the wrong way. That's right. Now, actually, as late as just that evening and this morning, I've actually driven those roads myself. And as look, I normally like the back of my hand, but I typed in like Cashel, Tipperary Town, I typed in Rock Mills, different locations, and I drove the routes myself. And in fairness, the fact that I was taking, taking, we can't, fine, we can't travel all those roads. But for heavy, good vehicles, they, they, it's just not possible to travel a lot of these roads. And the fact that I was taking these people on these roads, can the sat-nav companies be contacted? Can they, can they I, adjust the sat-navs? I raised that issue with Patrick Barrett, um, the, the senior uh, engineer, uh, last Monday, and in fairness he said he will contact the sat-navs. Now, my one fear, I've no doubt what Patrick Barrett will do it and, and everything he has said to do, he has done 100% and, and, and we've no problem with it. But this, the, the road will probably be open before the Satnav company will actually... I know, I know, that's, that's, I'm that's the problem. That, but then the other issue, uh, Frank, is there adequate signage to tell people the correct route to take? Well, I'd have to see, and look, in that I'm, because I'm a councillor, that I'm defending the council and the contractors. The, both the council and the contractors are absolutely, they're, they're doing a brilliant job. And like, if you travel the road, there is plenty of signage up, but sadly the drivers were not adhering to the, to the signage. Now, I do think myself in the last week that it has improved an awful lot. Okay. Because we, we had people in the locality that knew the roads and knew the back roads and knew the geography of the area, and they were trying to change these roads. But when they have a bad experience, um, I do think all the locals have actually learned from their experience. They won't, they won't the, try it again. What, they're, they're what, about, what about weight restrictions? Could you put weight restrictions, particularly on some of the well, minor roads? Look, um, they, that was suggested at the meeting, but weight restrictions, uh, like if you're bringing weight restrictions out, that'll mean that they'll be there forever. Now, it's a highly agricultural area, and you have meat lorries, you have feed lorries, you have animal transporting, green uh, harvest time. Like, practically, you could not um, put a waste restriction. But what I actually think myself, and maybe some people mightn't like it, you could probably put feed restrictions on them. And I'd have no objections if they were brought down to, to 40 kilometers an hour or something. And that might help, but waste restrictions in the particular locality will not work out. Okay, by the way, what happened to the poor old foreign driver with no English? Did you, through sign language, did you manage to get him out of there? Well, I'll tell you now, at 2 o'clock he turned up at Herbert's garage. Yeah. Uh, it was 7 o'clock in the morning <clears throat> before I came upon him. And uh, there was another local agricultural contractor. And between us, uh, the other contractor got his own tractor. And I must say, I'm very proud of the way we handled the situation, because we actually got that truck out of that situation by causing absolutely no damage. Well done. And to the, to the only two amateurs, if I may call ourselves amateurs, <laughs> and we solved it and we got him out of it. Now, I had pity on the poor man, because 
tables down, he do not say name we trust. I know, so, I know. Uh, how we discovered he was there for five hours was because he showed us his set, Nev, and we, 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 we were doing our times off of the set, Nev. Yeah. And he actually showed us on the set, Nev, the route that he had driven. Now, I actually, yesterday evening, I went to where he, where he keyed in Cashel, and I keyed in Cashel over near Herbert's garage. And exactly the route that that man was taken, I was taken with a car yesterday. Now, I had no problem in driving with a car, but I certainly would not like to have a 45-foot box yeah, so, behind so me. Yeah, so bless his heart, he was just following the sat-nav. It wasn't that he was using it as a rat run, thinking I can shave a little bit of time off the journey by going this way. Well, I decided just the evening just to, 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 to drive to the, the stopping points. And it's each one of the stopping points. I put in Tipperary Town, I put in Cashel, I put in Rock Mills, uh, Castleton Roach. I put in different destinations and just drove the routes that the said they've brought me. Yeah. And to the northern side, you have a lot of very minor roads with kind of a grass in the middle of them. That is a bigger problem than the ones to the southern side. But still, the route that the said they've brought me down, I certainly would not like to be driving um, a big truck anyhow. Yeah, well, I know recently I ended up on one of those very roads you're talking about with the grass in the middle. How do you know you lost when there's grass growing in the middle of the road? The roadworks, they're going well. I mean, these roadworks are badly needed. I think nobody's taking from the works that, are, that have been done. Um, they're, going, they're, they're going on until March of next year, isn't it? Look, I, I do think they'll be finished before March. That isn't for me. That isn't for me to say. Yeah. But I will say I'm absolutely thrilled with the contractors that the county council or the TI I chose. They are absolutely brilliant. Last Sunday evening, I had a case where there was a house being flooded, and I attended the scene at about half past five, six o'clock Sunday evening, and we put sandbags there and we, we we secured this temporary, and by nine o'clock Monday morning. The contractors had been actually attending their house, and now I'm not saying that they solved the problem, but at least they were there addressing the problem at nine o'clock Monday morning. Okay, well and anything that I have asked them to do, and I've asked them to do a lot since they started, anytime within one hour, they're back to me and they're addressing the issues. They okay. are absolutely brilliant. Okay, and also the county council staff that, that are overseeing it. I, I, I'm really thrilled with the way that the whole thing is going. It's brilliant now today. Okay, okay. I'm over on time, Frank. Listen, thank you for that. And for everybody else, please stick to the designated D2 routes. Frank, thank you for joining us. Thank you. And we'll Thanks, speak again. Sure. That is North Cork Independent Councillor Frank Roach. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And tomorrow is certainly going to be a happy Friday for many of our listeners because tomorrow Friday we have another C103 free fuel Friday. We're doing it right across this the month of October. Each and every Friday giving away 100 euro fuel vouchers across the day. So at some stage tomorrow I'll play a little clip a well known voice and we will get you to identify the star in the car. We'll get you to text or WhatsApp who you think the star in the car is. By doing that you'll be in with a chance of winning one of our 100 euro free fuel vouchers. It's the C103 Free Fuel Friday with East Cork Oil serving Cork City and County and across Munster for locations. You can check it out at yourlocaloilcompany.ie Always local, only on C103. Looking forward to doing that uh, tomorrow. Now, some of your calls, texts and comments coming into the programme. I was chatting with uh, Councillor Frank Roach about the problems that are presenting because of the closure 
due to roadworks on the N73, that's the main Mallow, uh, to Mitchellstown Road. Now, there are designated diversions in place, but some drivers are ignoring the designated uh, diversions and some HGV drivers in particular um, are avoiding them and that's causing huge problems because, you know, a lot of these roads not able to cope with those very, very large trucks. But then, as Frank explained, it isn't always the driver's fault. Some drivers will just kind of go, I'll use that as a rat run now and I'll shave some time off my journey. Uh, But I think local people who who had been trying to do that discovered the problems they were facing. So they've stopped uh, doing it. So it seems to be foreign drivers are people not known in the, who don't know the area. And because you type into the sat-nav and sat-navs are fantastic and they're getting us all from A to B and hopefully won't get you lost. But they, the sat-nav will send you the quickest route and the quickest route isn't always the best route particularly if you're going to get diverted down very local rural roads. And uh, a listener was listening to my chat with uh, Frank Roach and Frank was explaining how he and another local man helped a foreign driver who got stuck down a cul-de-sac at 2am in the morning and he was there until the small hours in the morning until Frank and this other gentleman found him and they they managed to get him out of the situation he was in and and thankfully uh, Frank and the other gentleman turned up to, to help him out. He'd probably still be sitting there otherwise somebody said um, this very same thing happened to me lately I was out for a walk near the mountain it's almost dusk when a massive truck came up a narrow road the poor man was lost I ended up having to drive about a mile and a bit to get him back onto the right road for Dublin the poor man was so thankful and guess what the sat nav was to blame you see that's what happens we type in our destination into the sat nav but the sat nav doesn't is all, will always send you the shortest uh, route so well done to you. That was your good deed for the day uh, done for sure. 0818103103. We had Mary on earlier from the Bandon in the Shannon area who's in a bit of a pickle, a bit of a dilemma. She's trying to get a plumber out to her house. She's got a problem with her water. Now, seemingly two plumbers came but couldn't solve uh, the issue and now she's having difficulty. She's contacted other plumbers. They're all promising they'll call but of course all of the trades people are just so busy and she was looking for a suggestion or could anybody help her out. Somebody was on, uh, Trish was on uh, to say that there, if you go online, it's called tradesmen.ie extremely good for Mary in order to find a plumber. My neighbour says Trish used them recently for a painter and everybody that's on tradesman.ie they're all vetted. That's really good to know. That's, I haven't, I must check out that website. I mean obviously if it's a painter your friend got and you reckon they're great for finding plumbers as well. I'm assuming the fact it's called tradesmen does exactly what it says on the tin. It covers all of the different trades because a lot of people will tell you that. I mean I always I always like to if, if you have a problem in your house go with somebody locally go with somebody who perhaps you've used before or go with somebody who comes recommended to you but that's not always possible at the moment because the tradespeople are just so so busy and if you have something that's only a very small job but it's causing you problems in your house a tradesman mightn't be available to come to you when you need to see them so that, that's a good website uh, to check into tradesmen.ie Thank you for that uh, Trish and we'll pass that on uh, to Mary and hopefully she will be able to get uh, her 
issue with her water sorted out in the Bandon in a Shannon area. And then Joe was on and I'm assuming Joe is reacting to Sheila who had contacted us when we were talking about the shortage of houses. Sheila was making the point that she is a pensioner and she reckons like many other pensioners she's rattling around and these are her own words in a great big four bedded bungalow. She said she she's loves the house been living there for 30 years but she would be willing to downsize. She wouldn't, you know, she kind of likes the idea of uh, downsizing, but she wants she wants the government to make it worth her while. And not that she's looking for the government to find her the property or anything like that. But what she's suggesting is things like put incentives in place so that if she sold her four bedroomed bungalow, she wouldn't be paying tax on it and she wouldn't have to pay stamp duty on the new property that she would uh, purchase. And she thought, just a thought, it might be an idea for the government because I'm assuming that the government are scrambling and looking at any suggestions at all that might make more housing available, particularly housing for families. Well, Joe was listening to that and in the housing estate where Joe lives he said he personally knows of six single people who are living in family homes exactly like Sheila has said and I don't know if they're four bedroomed or three bedroomed house but if it's a typical Irish housing estate in any part of the city or county there'll be your standard three bedroomed houses and there's one person left living in the house because children have grown up they've flown the nest and maybe a partner has died or a partner has moved out and suddenly somebody is there living in these family homes on their uh, own. Uh, Joe says that's just on his estate and he reckons that's reflected right around the country. He said a lot of these houses could be freed up and it would solve a lot of housing uh, issues. Joe personally says he'd love to downgrade but he owns his own house he said he doesn't even want to entertain you know something like going out and having to do a remortgage or anything like that and he certainly doesn't want to uh, rent so he would be interested in selling his house and again a little bit like Sheila incentivise older people who do want to downsize by you know by putting schemes in place where they wouldn't have to pay tax on you know anything they made from the sale of their house or they wouldn't end up paying uh, stamp duty so Joe reckons that Sheila is right there are a lot of other people in a similar situation who like the idea of downgrading. Now, there are also, and I said it earlier when I read out Sheila's comments, there are also a number of older people who absolutely hate the notion. They don't care how big their house is. It's their family home and it's the home they want to see out their days in and they will not entertain anybody saying, uh, would you think about downsizing? 0818103103. And then we discussed the eviction bang and we were talking with Threshold and just giving a little bit of breathing space I suppose to people who are in private rented accommodation people who are in dread of that phone call from the landlord or that letter or email from the landlord with a notice uh, to quit because the landlord wants to sell the property or the landlord might have family members that want uh, to move in so at least we know for the winter months taking us up to the end of March you know people won't be uh, evicted Michael in Castle Tambair says Patricia the eviction pause is only a little bit like a farmer putting a furze bush into a gap. It really is just a temporary little arrangement. In a few months the very same problem will be there but guess what, says Michael, it'll only be larger. Would broadcasters nationwide call on the government to please, please, please give all of the local authorities, all of the councils sufficient funding and they will be able to build sufficient homes. They've already done it. They have a good track record on it in the past. 
let them at it again. Thank you, says Michael in Castletown Bear. And if you go back to, you know, a number of years ago when this country wasn't awash with money like like it is now, that's what councils did. Councils built houses all over the country and we didn't we had nothing like the housing crisis we had now I mean even listening to John Mark McCafferty from Threshold speaking they have never seen anything like the crisis that we're having at the moment or the number of people that, get, that are getting notices uh, to quit and before when somebody was asked to leave a property it was okay they were given no matter how much time they were given they were always able to find another property it's just simply not that easy anymore somebody else says Patricia I feel so so sorry for people who were out there trying to look for a forever home but the government, says this texter, has left in too many people. They're flying into this country this very day. It's a joke. We're a small country. They need to put a cap on the number of people that are coming into to our country. Uh, the government have our country ruined. Thanking you, uh, thanking you, Patricia. That's one texter. And then John and Carrie Galine has a similar point. Says the government's patting themselves on the back for banning evictions by five months. It would be more in their line to ban people coming into this country. Uh, it's driving our own citizens citizens onto the streets it's plain to see it goes back to Mary McAleese's time inviting foreigners into this country our country our home says John in Carrigaline now OK, we have a problem at the moment and even when I read out those figures um, earlier on the the local authorities reaching capacity and when we broke down the figures for up to August, the number of people that were in emergency accommodation, 63% of the adults in emergency accommodation were Irish, but then 21% were from the European Economic Area, which I was assuming a lot of those would be Ukrainians. And then 16% were outside the EEA, outside the European Economic Area and outside of the UK, so you're assuming that they are asylum seekers. The problem there is we've already said people are fleeing war uh, and we will, this country, along with all other European countries, are trying to do everything that they can for people who are fleeing war. And then when it comes to asylum uh, seekers, there are rules and laws in place that when an asylum seeker comes, there's a process that they have to go through. I do think the big problem we have with it, with asylum seekers is we take too long to process their application. Some of them genuinely are fleeing for their lives and deserve to seek asylum here. But then there are others who are just scammed the system and our system our process it's just for years that has been going on it, uh, it, it just takes too long but are we do we have a perfect storm at the moment absolutely absolutely we do because we have landlords who are leaving the market because house prices have gone up so they want to you know they want to they want to get out of the business some people would have invested in a property for their pensions for example now they're coming to pension age so they want to sell the house so that they have their pot of money uh, for for their pension so the storm was brewing in that we were going not going to have enough houses because we weren't building enough houses in this country and then you add to that Russia decides to illegally invade Ukraine so we end up in a war situation with Ukrainian refugees who by the way don't want to be here but they end up on our shores and then we've always had an issue with asylum seekers arriving but there is there an increase in asylum seekers Absolutely there is and that possibly has a lot to do with the changes to asylum seekers going into the United Kingdom. People are instead coming to uh, Ireland. Uh, So can you just put a cap? Can you just close the airports? Can you just close uh, the ports and say no more? Uh, We are full but we certainly are when you look at those figures coming out from local authorities showing that 19 of the emergency accommodation uh, services are full to capacity. There literally is nowhere when somebody presents in any of those local authorities looking for accommodation no matter what nationality they are or whether they were born and 
raised in the area, there literally is nowhere to put them. 0818103103. We were talking about prices uh, rising. Lots of people are picking up on the butter. Everybody seems to notice how much butter is gone. And it's across the board, whether you're buying the branded butter or whether you're getting the supermarket own brand butter, all of them have gone up in price. Somebody else says, I've noticed crew neck t-shirts in a de- well-known department store. They, they once recent like up to the cost of living crisis, you could get a crew neck T-shirt for two euro fifty. Guess what? They've gone up to six euro. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. C one zero three jobs. Accounts assistant slash bookkeeper wanted to join an established company in Mallow. Five years plus experience is required. CVs please to Karen O'Brien at Osborne.ie. Person wanted for building work in Mitchellstown. Full and part-time hours are available. Now, no experience is needed. You can call, text or WhatsApp anytime. 086-878-6607. Mobile tyre fitters are needed. It's in the Mill Street and Castle Island areas. Email 087-259-8825. And a person is required for labouring and to drive a pickup truck. It's in the Blackpool area. Full driving licence is required and you email info at fitzgeraldconstruction.ie You'll find all of the details about those particular job vacancies and many more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. Cmig.ie. Call to delay the move from summer to winter time to help support energy saving has once again been raised in the Dáil. Cork East Fianna Gael Dáil Deputy David Stanton joins me to discuss why he feels it's so important this year more than uh, ever. Good morning to you, David. Hello, Patricia. How are you? Uh, I'm very well and you're welcome to the programme. I was thinking about this yesterday. I've lost count of how many times over the years I have discussed this topic on the programme. Why, David, are we so slow to end a practice that was introduced in a very different era back in World War (laughs) One? It's a very good question. Yeah, the, the, the reason at the moment is because the UK isn't moving and there's a concern about the border in Ireland that having two time zones on the island. And I can understand that. And also, you know, the European Union have decided, yes, that countries can do their own thing basically on this. Uh, they have to give, we have to give a certain amount of notice. But why I'm bringing you this up now, and I've brought this up for many, many years when I was chair of the Justice Committee, we did a report on it, we had hearings on it and so on at that time, 10 years ago or more now, um, but the world changed on the 24th of February this year when Russia invaded Ukraine. And the imperative now is to reduce you know, electricity use, reduce um, gas use, reduce energy use overall. So I, now we need to be looking at this now. I don't expect it will happen in the next couple of weeks because we will be changing at the end of the month anyway. But maybe in the spring we should look at bringing in summertime earlier. Now in the States they bring it in two weeks earlier than we do. Uh, they bring it in, in, we bring it in next year on the 27th of March. They'll be bringing it in on the 13th of March. Um, and I, I wouldn't see any reason why we couldn't bring it in on the 1st of February if that was possible. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I asked the Minister the other night to go back to Europe and talk to our European colleagues, talk to the, our UK colleagues, because I think everyone would benefit from longer summertime. Now the other uh, proposal that's been out there for quite a while is having summertime all year round. 
and I don't know if you recall that, Patricia, but yeah. I certainly do in the 70s. Well, you know, actually, I heard you talk about this. I, I, you must have a better memory than me because I've no, I've no recollection of this. It was in 1971. It was. And I remember I was in school at the time <clears throat> and uh, I was looking out at the sun rising, uh, the dawn breaking uh, when we were in the classroom at 9 o'clock in the morning. Now, at that time, there was a, they did it for two years. And at that time, I think there was a concern that you know, uh, children going to school and so on in the dark wouldn't be great. So they reverted back to this. But uh, I, I'm sorry, wasn't if wasn't it done because it was an energy crisis in the seventies? There it? was, that's yeah. The reason. So it was that's, done for yeah. for almost similar reasons for what you were calling for it to be done. Uh, exactly. Yeah. But what I'm looking for now is a compromise here, and I would suggest that perhaps we should, uh, you know, hold on to the winter time for November, December, January. But from February on, we should certainly, I think, go back to summertime. And that would be a balance in around the, the mid-year. If yeah, you like. yeah. Um, the other alternative, obviously, is to go to summertime all year round, which we had done and which we probably could do again uh, if it came to it. But as a compromise in the interim, I think we should certainly next spring um, bring summertime in earlier. And there's no reason why we have to wait until the end of Mar- or the, the, the March to do it. 20, clocks go forward on the 27th of March. There's no reason why we couldn't do it in early February. And we'll gain almost and- two months of and bringing in summertime all year round, uh, the European Union ag- agreed that countries could do that. That was just before the pandemic. I know, I think the, the pandemic kind of stymied it a bit and, and nothing more happened on it. Mm. But the EU are saying, aren't they, that countries can leave summertime all year round. It's up to, but it's up to individual countries. It is. The European Parliament voted on the 26, May 20, March 26 to 2019 in favour of abolishing seasonal time changes by imagining that it happened to 410 uh, MEPs to 192. Now, the, uh, you're dead right then. COVID did actually upset things and we are obviously very cautious here because of the border that we don't want two time zones on the island. Now, as it happened a number of years ago, there was a private member's bill in the House of Commons which was talking about and suggesting that they would actually also go to summertime all year round. It got a lot of support. David Cameron was Prime Minister at the time. It got a lot of support at that time, but it, 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 it ran into the sand. It, they, they talked it out in the, in the Parliament, and it just did die, and that was the end of it. I spoke to the person who was uh, promoting it at the time because I, I was pushing something very similar here, and we thought we might be able to work in, in, in conjunction with each other, but it, it ran into the sand over there, and then obviously we, we didn't move here for, for the reason about, of, of the border, which I can understand is very sensitive. But what I want our ministers to do, and I've asked Helen McEntee to do this, and she has uh, agreed to do it, is to raise this issue again at European level. And I was also talking to our MEPs, um, Senator Tim Lombard, uh, who you know have brought up in the Senate last week yeah. as well. He's been talking about the advantages of this to farming too, um, and also it does a big advantage, you know, with, res- with respect of tourism and retail. And, and curiously, in, in the States, they did some surveys, and they, they, the criminals like the dark. Right. They like dark evenings. Yeah. So if you, if you push uh, the, um, if you have, you know, the brighter evenings longer, then that, the criminals don't like that, and, and burglars and so on don't like that because they have more light longer, and they, they don't, and they don't like getting up in the morning too early. Yeah, it's a kind of a, kind of a, a bonus. But the it big, is. the big one this year, though, surely is is the cost implication. I mean, people, there's evidence there that people will save money on energy costs. Yeah, between two hundred and four hundred euro a year is. I've seen some research being quoted on that, uh, and which is which is everything helps at this stage. Everything helps, and also we we've, we've got to reduce. Uh, electricity use, we've got to reduce gas use and energy use overall and this is a way of doing it because you know what, in, 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 in tw- 10 days from now the clocks will go back an hour, winter time will come in uh, and suns- sunset at the moment is about, about 20 past 6-ish uh, in two weeks from now it'll be 5 past 5 and then it'll go on, on, on it'll happen earlier and earlier 
and we'll be turning on our heating earlier, our lighting earlier, and so on. So um, the roads are obviously a little bit more dangerous as well. It was said to me, by the way, that in the, UK, in, in the US they moved uh, the, the, the change of the, of the clocks, um, moving them back uh, a week later to allow for Halloween because children were tricky and treating and they have a little bit more brightness for tricky and treating. That's not interesting. Sure, not sure how true that is, but yeah, it's a nice story anyway. Yeah, so. because they have... Their winter time is shorter, as, as you say. They don't move until the 13th of March and then they go after us in October. They, 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 they don't go to November, isn't it? They're, they're a week later. They're a week. We it's just a week. All right. Yeah. For, for, as you say, for how we, we go on the 30th of October, they go the 6th of November. Yeah. And, yeah. and then and on the other side of it, as you're, you're dead right, they go two weeks earlier. But yeah. my point here is we could go an awful lot earlier than that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I know, David, whenever we raise this issue and whenever we've raised it over the years, and I know Sean Kelly, uh, the MEP, Sean mm-hmm. has been on about this for years as well. And I've done many interviews with him. Yeah. We always get the majority of people saying that they want want summertime. The amount of people who are absolutely dreading those long winter evenings, yeah. just even from a mental health point of view. Well, mental health is another one. And um, the, the, there was a survey carried out by the Department of Justice and Fairness here who did a lot of work on it. And one of the questions they asked was about having two time zones on the island and the majority of people were opposed to that. Mm. So we're back to the sticking point again. So we've got to reach out to our colleagues in the UK when they'll finally get themselves sorted over there. <laughs> uh, and, it's, and it's, it would kind of be a, ba- a bit of a bad timing. I thought it, I, I smiled when you mentioned um, the former Prime Minister David Cameron. I'm yeah. assuming as a politician you're keeping a close eye on what's going oh, on in the, oh, in the Commons. Well, we all are. And, you know, if, when things go wrong in the, U- in the UK and in Britain, they, in Great Britain, they go wrong for us as well. Because yeah. we, we really are, you know, very closely aligned economically from a tourism point of view, cultural point of view, and every other way. So I, I hope that they can get this sorted out. It's, it, 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 the scenes last night were very unedifying in the Parliament over there. And, you know, we've got to be careful. People always give it up about politics and politicians. But when politics goes wrong, it is very, very serious. Mm. And, and I do hope they get them. I mean, we saw what happened in the United States when, you know, we what you could call an attempted coup uh, at one stage there and the, the capital was, was that was very 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 dangerous for the world and thankfully nobody was no, none of the uh, senators or, or, or representatives were, were injured or killed but if the count hadn't gone ahead to put uh, Joe Biden in as president who knows what would have happened yeah, yeah, yeah. it's extraordinary serious so I mean we're lucky here that we have a stable um, political system um, all of my colleagues here in the Iraq just work very hard and, and are here for the right reasons. And, you know, we, 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 when we're in the chambers, we pull hard and we, we are held, you know, government is held to account as it should be. And people put forward different ideas and policies for discussion and debate. Uh, we were here the other night until midnight um, in, 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 in question time, and I think it was around that time when I raised this issue. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when you see what, when politics does go wrong, it is extraordinarily serious. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's in, it is really incredible what, what is yeah. unfolding in, in the Commons, uh, for sure. And, uh, you know, and I saw somebody tweeting last night, uh, um, an, an Irish person who I follow. She's a former journalist who worked all of her working life in the UK, but she's back now here uh, living in in. Dublin, but she was making the point, and she's not on her own, that there's a lot of expats who worked, Irish people who worked in the United Kingdom, and they've now come home for their retirement, who are relying on the UK for their pensions. And it's putting the fear of God in them. Yeah. A lot of this, I think, started with with Brexit. And and I I think, personally, that Brexit was an awful mistake. I mean, they left uh, the biggest single market in the world 
uh, five, six hundred million people. They had a huge say in what was going on there, and and now they're on their own. And yeah. bizarrely, recently the UK has been now has been compared to Argentina, and people are saying we hope they won't go down that route. And Argentina is is in real trouble at the moment economically, and has been for quite a long time. So Brexit was a huge issue, and you are dead right. There are lots of expats who are living here and who are living across Europe who are very, very concerned about their pensions because that's what they depend on. Now, thankfully here, I mean, they, they, they were talking about borrowing massive money, uh, you know, to cut taxes. Now, we were here on this stage and, and, you know, we were able to have a budget of 11 billion euro and we didn't have to borrow any of it. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, I mean, I think it was Bill Clinton said one time, it's the economy is stupid. If the economy is strong and, and if a government can work to ensure your economy is sound and we are at full employment here, and that's bringing its own problems regarding issues to do with um, labor shortages and so on in many sectors. But if you have the economy strong and it's performing properly, the government has the resources to do things like we have done now with the 11 billion that we were able to make available through the budget without borrowing anything. And okay. next year, the projections are even stronger. Okay, okay. We will leave it there, David, and I can see a number of people are wishing you well in the hope that you can <laughs> get them to at least to bring in the summertime early in the new year. It will be fantastic well, to head into we, the we, new we year keep knowing that. The case. Okay, keep listen, thanks, David, Patricia. thank you for that thank and you. thanks uh, for joining us. That is uh, Cork East Fine Gael, uh, Dáil Deputy David Stanton. And we went off on a myriad of other different topics as well, but it is uh, certainly uh, nothing is going to happen before the, the next week not next weekend the weekend after uh, the clocks will be going back an hour for some they like the extra hour in bed but for others it's the dread of the long long uh, winter evenings ahead 0818 103 103 John Paul's taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp to 086 103. and when I mentioned earlier that we are awash with money somebody says am I missing something here Patricia do we not have a national debt has that disappeared no no God knows we do have a, a national debt but a national debt is one of those things that's very much put on the the long finger. I mean, if you look at national debts in other countries, only last year I was reading a report that in the UK they were paying off some of the debt that they had incurred after World War II. They were only paying off the bonds uh, at that stage and that's what all governments do. Are we paying off the national debt? Of course we are. But in many cases it's the interest we're paying and we will be, we, we're starting, I know, uh, to pay off some of the debt after the Troika uh, moved in. But that's very much put on the back burner and we slowly slowly uh, pay it off but that as David Stanton just alluded to there uh, this country is awash with money the amount of money that's coming in on our tax returns and corporate tax uh, take that's the reason that 11 billion was 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 made available in the last budget without having to borrow a cent of it. 0818103103. John Paul taking your calls. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Time for this week's Guard the Fire. We're going to for more Guard the Station where Sergeant John Kelly uh, joins us. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, Patricia. Okay, a number of items to get to. Firstly, uh, you want to talk about a burglary that happened in the last week. Yeah, I, I, I suppose it, I'm, not, I'm not, not going to mention location or anything. I just want the public to know that, thankfully, you know, within the whole uh, area of Cork North, there was only one burglary within the last week, you know. Okay. Um, so, uh, I, I suppose, and... Crime, I suppose, it has never recovered to 2019 levels, you know, and uh, we'd appeal to people, you know, to ensure that it doesn't, just to keep their, their eyes, uh, 
just to keep their eyes abreast of, of what's happening, you know. And in that respect, just to mention first, you know, we have launched the winter phase of Operation Tor. Now, Operation Tor, since was introduced um, in 2015, um, uh, it, it undertakes targeted enforcement and preventative activity, you know, and it's designed to prevent potential burglars from exploiting, you know, the reduced hours of daylight that we have in the winter time, you know. Um, from research, and, and that's over many years, you know, uh, there can be a surge sometimes of up to 20% in, in uh, burglaries during the, during the winter months, you know, because daylight hours, they're at its lowest. Um, and well, it's funny nine. because I was just talking with Deputy David uh, Stanton uh, oh. about the, the clocks go, going back and he was making that point that the evidence is there certainly from the states when they started thinking around with the, the summertime and allowing for longer uh, for more light in the evening they noticed a decrease in, in crime because burglars like it to be dark Yeah, he's entirely correct you know, the research is there that will back it up Burglary is most likely to take place during the hours of 5 to 9 on a Thursday, Friday or Saturday during the winter months. You know, so I, I mean, it's not today or yesterday. You, you know, yeah. that, that figure was out there. That figure is out there uh, with, with, with a number of years. Um, I suppose we also, uh, we, we also kind of target organised crime gangs and repeat offenders, you know, just as may make sure where they are and whatever. Um, and you, you know, and our guard intelligence system, you know, falls into that as well. But, Definitely since 2015 when Operation Tower was introduced, burglary and related offences, they've steadily declined, you know, and figures show that there's been a 26% reduction in the rate of uh, such offences when compared to the pre-COVID-19 levels in 2019. So, for instance, um, to date this year now, there have been 6,100 residential burglaries throughout the country. The same period in 2019, there was 10,297. That's a big drop. That's a big drop. But then, but we all have a role to play in making sure that when we are, when the house is vacant, that it's it's secure. People have installed alarms. You know, we can we can do our own thing to protect our properties as well. Yeah, yeah, and it's very important as well. Obviously, lock up, light up. Just make sure that you've got your uh, uh, your your timer switches. You know. Low energy, low energy bulbs or whatever. Yeah. Um, but just make sure that the house still gives off a kind of an aura that it's occupied. You know, it doesn't look as if it's, uh, like, I mean, there's no point in having the curtains pulled in the middle of the daytime, you know. Um, it's, it's the giveaway sign. I know not the same level of post is coming, but if you happen to glance in through the, through the patio door and you see three or four uh, letters left and it's five o'clock in the evening well you know there's somebody that hasn't been at home that day you know yeah and so, homes that are unoccupied are the ones that are most likely to get broken yeah, into you they're, they're the ones that are, that are most likely to be broken into you yeah, know and okay. they're knocking the front door they don't get an answer they knock on the back door they'll start looking in under or you know to see if there's a mat and to see if a key has been left out you know and surprising you know you still get houses that once they've been broken into they've been entered you know, they've been introducing a key that somebody was careless enough to leave out. You know, so that's for people. Somebody that needs a key, they, you know, they should have their own key. Yeah. The other thing as well, if you are going on that winter break, you know, don't be posting your status updates on social media while you're away. Don't post the pictures while you're away, you know, and, and avoid posting upcoming travel plans or, or, or you, you know. Yeah. That's fine. Tell people when you come back. You, yeah. know what I mean? you can share, share the pictures uh, when you're at home. And obviously, when houses get broken into, I, I mean, it's cash and jewellery, is it? They, they want the cash and yeah, cash and jewellery. You know, um, they're still the main things. And 
like uh, I mean research that was done many years ago look to be honest in the guards any of us that have gone to scenes going back over the years could have written it or uh, literally written it ourselves they'll start in the main bedroom the main bedroom is where they expect to find jewellery uh, and cash you know the jewellery t- sometimes it used to be uh, you know you had this ornate jewellery box that you might have got as a present sitting there on, on a chest of drawers with everything inside in it mm. you know I mean that's fine to keep the fashion the fashion jewellery the bit of bling or something that, that isn't worth the whole pile keep that in it but anything that's valuable uh, 9 carat 14 carat whatever that should be inside in a small floor or wall safe ideally uh, ideally a wall safe fitted a chest high you know onto a solid wall and concealed by a fitted unit you know they're, they cost about 250 to 300 but I mean they're well worth doing and have an inventory of all that stuff and now, t- we take photographs we've spoken about this in the past take photographs yeah. of valuable items Exactly, exactly. You know, don't be depending on uh, a picture of somebody wearing it at a wedding that you're trying to you're trying to blow up and it, you're trying to blow it up and it's going to pixelate, you know. Mm. Um, keep keep a good uh, inventory of them. Now, we launched a property app in that regard, the Garda property app. You can get it on any of the online stores as well, download it, that you can have details of all your property and the photographs stored in that one app. It's a kind of a one-stop shop, you know. Okay. So, look, just take that bit of extra care. Um, a couple of other seasonal issues we're beginning to, uh, I suppose, in the way we forecast them. I mean, uh, you wouldn't want to be a racing tipster now to forecast them because it's like the it's like the black market. You know, the black market follows the normal market. When the price of uh, oil goes up, you find a home heating oil as well. Um, drive-offs in petrol stations, there have been a few of them. Uh, diesel, uh, agri-diesel is becoming an issue as well. So we'd appeal to the farming community, keep an eye open. You know, if they can recite their tank, you know, I think a lot of farmers already have done that, and it's very wise, particularly with outside farms, if they have a tank in an outside farm. Uh, recited into a secure lock-up shed. Um, and also the theft of home heat. Now, a couple of instances of it lately. And I think uh, at least this year, probably the price being so prohibitive, people will be getting a quarter tank or a half tank, which will help in a way of reducing the amount of it being stolen. Yeah, rather than yeah, rather than stealing a whole tank, a full tank full of full of uh, home heating oil. Okay, and then you've given an interesting one about people attending weddings, John. Yeah, I just want to mention it. Uh, I mentioned it with with one uh, incident in mind, which I'm not going to say where or when it happened. But I mean, the possibility of repetition of it has happened. I've heard of it happening years ago as well, and that's I suppose weddings. You know, we're back now. Uh, post-COVID with, with big weddings and I suppose more and more weddings people going to weddings it's an envelope you give with maybe 200 and two people going maybe 200 whatever is the going rate and, you know but you know the bride and groom they need to have a plan in place who is looking after the money on that happy day you know you don't want to have turned a happy day into an unhappy day as did happen recently uh, where, uh, where an amount of uh, uh, those cards were, were stolen in an incident um, now, as I said, I have heard of it in the past, um, but it is one of those horror stories. And I suppose now it is the bride and groom are kind of in a way, depending on that money, maybe to pay for the wedding. Yeah, and, and it is cash. Gone are the days where you get you gave the iron and the ironing board, and 
and uh, the kettle is present say, you know we all give cash now at weddings I remember a number of years ago there was a, a splurge of people particularly at rural churches you'd park up at the church to go to the wedding everybody would file into the, the church cars were left outside and of course your card with the money for the present was left in the card and there was a run on some, some cars getting broken into and the cards were being taken and we were issuing warnings to people saying bring, right. bring the card into the church with you but this is a different one this is somebody almost watching who's collecting the cards uh, exactly exactly yeah. exactly you know so um, um you're, you're entirely right that was maybe 10 years ago yeah. was of those happening you know that people were leaving the card inside and and of course the first thing now at a wedding you, you know a lot of people think get rid of that card because they don't you know they're aware of the fact that there's that, that there's cash in it and they want to let their hair down you, you know as regards have a few drinks or or, or, or whatever, you know. But just make sure that you have a plan in place to deal with that on the day, you know. And, uh, I mean, the, hotel, the hotels are really good about that. They'll have a safe. You could, you know, maybe go to reception and just say, look, can, can you get a large envelope when we put all the cards in together and they might be able to store it in the safe for you. Absolutely, yeah. 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 You know, get one of those lockable, uh, maybe portfolios that you can put yeah. everything in. Yeah. Yeah, but just, it's just something to think about. It certainly is something to think Absolutely. about. Absolutely. Just to get people thinking. No, that's all. Okay, listen, we leave it there, John. Thank you for that. Pleasure as always. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, bye-bye. That is Sergeant John Kelly based out of Fumoy Garda State. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Soccer fans, please take note that the Premier League Live is back with us here on C103.ie. It's with Trevor Welch and it's on again this Saturday from midday, powered by Talk Sport. We're going to be bringing you coverage this week of Nottingham Forest taking on Liverpool. That's at 12.30. The mid-afternoon game is Man City versus Brighton. That's at 3. And then the final match of the day will be Chelsea taking on Man United at 5.30. That's the Premier League Live online with Harvey Norman. Your home on the big screen. Listen, Saturdays on the C103 app or you can go to c103.ie. Let me take a look at some of your commentary coming in. Eddie was listening to Barry on the news at 12 midday and one of the pieces that Barry was talking about was that Irish Water in partnership with Cork County Council uh, are going to begin construction next month of 13 and a half kilometres of new water mains and it will go from Bandon to Clonakilty and obviously the whole idea behind this is to relieve the challenges to the water supply in Clonakilty and to cater for growth and development and certainly people in Clonakilty will very much uh, welcome that but when Eddie heard it, well, that is welcome news for Clonakilty and particularly for development going forward. He's worried about the fact that the road going into Clonakilty has recently been redone and resurfaced which with gorgeous brand new footpaths. And he said, now he said, I'm hearing on the news, that they're going to bring a water pipe from Bandon to Clonakilty. Does that mean they'll uproot that road again? Well, we've checked in and they won't. Most of it's going to go uh, cross-country. There will be some work on the N71 Bandon to Clonakilty route, but they tell us every effort will be made to minimise uh, the route. And the water supply is, the pipe is coming from Bandon to Clonakilty, so it'll end the waterworks outside of Clonakilty before you go into the town and 
and where the works that you're talking about, Eddie, they would have been after the waterworks. So no, you're OK. <laughs> and, and that's not to say that that hasn't happened in the past, where an area has got gorgeous resurfaced uh, road and then suddenly either the gas company or water or something have to be dug up for pipes to put down. It hasn't happened in the past. I haven't seen it happen in quite some time, but there was a period of time where it seemed to be happening every other month in various uh, towns and villages and uh, cities. So I think there's a lot more joined up thinking now when it comes to big major jobs being done like that and when they have to dig up a road that they make sure that anything that needs to go in will go in at the same time. Thank you for your call Eddie though to 0818 103 103. Number of texts in. We were talking about daylight saving hours and we know we're going into winter time at the last weekend of the month. The clocks will go back one hour. The only plus on it is you will get an extra hour in bed on that uh, Saturday night and David Stanton was remembering when they kind of experimented with it back in the early 70s, even though some people reckon it happened in 1969, 1970. I was trying to look it up yesterday and I saw it happened in 1971. So I think it might have been 1970 and 1971 where we held summertime in this country. The clocks didn't go back. Once they jump forward in spring, they stay that way for at least two uh, winters. And the theory behind it at the time was there was an energy crisis uh, going on and it was to allow for brighter evenings but darker mornings. Jane in Ballylicky says, yes, she clearly remembers it. She remembers cycling to school at the time. She used to have to cycle three miles uh, from outside of Canturk into Canturk to go to, to school. She said for the two years it stayed at summertime she remembers cycling into school. Very dark mornings but it was brighter in the evening at time and that's exactly what uh, David Stanton was rec- was remembering as well and there is evidence there to say that by doing that we le- we use less energy and will actually save uh, people money. Dermot who is a farmer says does David Stanton not realise the mornings will be darker until about 10 o'clock so it's only robbing Peter to pay Paul. I prefer mor- mornings to be brighter says Dermot who is a farmer and I have to say whenever we have discussed this in the past traditionally the calls that we get in are from the farming community who like to have the bit of brightness in the morning for everybody else they prefer not to have the longer uh, evenings 08 longer darker evenings 0818 103 103 but Dermot I can tell you nothing certainly is going to happen uh, this year I can't even see it happening for the next number of years. We certainly are not going to stay with uh, summertime unless we can get the powers that be in the United Kingdom to agree to do it as well because nobody wants a situation where we would have the island of Ireland and two different time zones on it and the problems that that could uh, create. Stephen and County Kerry is WhatsApping us about Met Aaron and storms and thunder and lightning and the way the Dublin media report on it. He said a minor, he says, I was watching some of the Tonight Show last night and I could only smile when the presenter brought up the subject of the violent thunderstorms. Why were they talking about it? Because guess what? At the time, they were hitting Dublin. No mention of the fact that those violent thunderstorms had affected Cork and Kerry the previous night. It reminded Stephen of the time on the Late Late Show when Ryan Tauberty was asking Evelyn Cusack of Met Aaron, Evelyn, when did you realise the enormity of storm Ophelia? And she hadn't the guts to reply when we realised it was going to hit Dublin as well. Oh, the best. 
there's always criticism of Dublin. Now, my story to do with the weather and Dublin media would have been back in the day uh, when certainly we didn't have uh, so many uh, local radio stations. And it was one of the winters early in the 80s. Do you know when we had the really, really heavy snow? There was a couple of winters where we were really snowed in for a period of time. And at the time I was living in Tipperary, in Clamell and Tipperary, and we were literally under siege for nearly a week and the snow was nearly knee deep and it was you know causing all kinds of problems remember we'd burst pipes in our house and oh, it was dreadful it was really really dreadful and it was around Christmas as well I'm sure I can remember the Christmas tree being up at the same time anyway and I remember turning on um, RTE one morning and they were talking but all oh, the roads were clear because the, the, the thaw had come on the east of the country and anything outside the nearest dual carriageway was fine and they were talking about everything was great life was back to normal and I was looking out the window and I could barely get out the back door there was so much snow had piled up and I, and I remember getting irked by it uh, then I think you know with more the proliferation of local radio we, we can have a tendency now to focus on what's going on in our own area as well but there's always ongoing criticism of that thanks for your text uh, WhatsApp uh, Stephen to 086 2103103 we touched on asylum seekers earlier on with some people being critical about the number of asylum seekers uh, that are in this country at the moment particularly when we have a housing crisis uh, somebody says Patricia do you know that there are asylum seekers that are in this country seven years or more many of them have had have failed the asylum process yet they can keep appealing the government now needs to start deporting these people we also need to start refusing entry to people who are coming from countries that really are deemed safe countries the whole system is shambolic we need to look at the uh, asylum uh, process in this country and I know there's another issue within the direct provision centres and that's to do with people who came to this country to seek asylum and they were fleeing for their lives they go through the process and they're genuine asylum seekers and they're granted permission to stay but many of them can't leave the asylum centres that they're in because they can't find accommodation because they are caught up in the housing crisis as well. And then we spoke about the sat-navs sending you the wrong way we in particular were talking about the Mallow to Mitchellstown Road and uh, the problems it we're having on the Mallow to Richardstown Road with heavy trucks following the sat-nav and ter- sending them down almost they're almost boreens and trucks getting stuck in all kinds of uh, problems and I was making the point that with the sat-nav the sat-nav will direct you to the quickest route not necessarily the correct route when it is diverted traffic and it was it was good to hear the Cork County Council are going to try and get onto the sat-nav companies to see can they recalibrate the sat-navs to make sure that they are sending people the right way rather than the quickest way Somebody has said, I am almost sure you can change the settings on your SatNav app to only use main roads. Yeah, but you see, the problem with that is the main the, the main roads, what we're talking about here on the Manor to Mitchellstown Road is the main road is closed uh, and there's diversions in place. So I don't know, would the SatNav be able to pick that up or not? I don't know, but certainly uh, it's worth getting on. It's worth looking at your SatNav to see if that is possible. But certainly it'll be interesting to see when Cork County Council get on to them, will they be in, in any way able to calibrate to stop people going on the wrong roads? 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. We are looking for your pet questions for Eta, please. Uh, or you can text or WhatsApp to 08 for Jane. God, I just remember to eat our, our old um, uh, vet. Uh, it's for Jane Pickett. Or you can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. And when we've been talking about cost of living, and we kind of touched on it earlier today with the price of butter was the one that seemed to have got people really going this morning. And everybody seemed to have a story to tell about how much butter has gone up uh, by. But we're very aware that everything is going up 
you know, when you go uh, shopping week on week, literally everything is going up and there's no sign of anything uh, coming down. And yesterday uh, we had a number of people got very annoyed when they heard about some of the perks that the former Taoiseach are getting on top of their pensions. So people were very annoyed about it, saying that that money could be better spent somewhere else. Well, that's prompted to someone to say, where are the government getting all the money from, particularly the money for these perks for the former Taoiseach? I'm sorry now, but I'm here at home. I don't have a car. I had to sell my car a number of weeks ago. Why? I needed cash to pay off bills. Because of selling my car, I had to give up work because I had no transport. We are starving because we can't afford 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 food. It has simply gone too dear. Okay, we can go to the supermarket and we can we can buy a certain amount of food, but we never have enough week on week. And because of that, there are days in this household where we are we are actually hungry. It wasn't paying me to stay working even before I sold off the car. And now we hear that the government are giving themselves money perks. Are the Irish people so blind that they can't see that we are a forgotten people? There needs to be an all-out strike in this country. And that's from, isn't that so so sad? That's from a North uh, Cork listener. It's just dreadful to think of anybody going hungry. They're out buying, you know, and, and no doubt trying to get the bit of money that's coming into the house to stretch as much as they can. But, you know, when bills come in, the money doesn't always stretch. I heard Katrina Toomey from uh, Penny Dillers, she was speaking on one of the national radio stations uh, yesterday, just talking about the the increase in the number of people going to Cork Penny Dinners, people who are in the city and have access uh, to Cork Penny Dinners. But, you know, to hear her talking about uh, people who are at work People are going into work in their work clothes. A lot of them have, you know, the laminates where they work around the necks. So you can clearly see that they are working. But because they might be caught with very high rents or they might be struggling to pay a mortgage or there's, you know, high bills coming in with electricity uh, costing so much, costing so much to heat people's uh, homes. The only way people can save in many ways is to stop buying at the supermarket and stop buying food. And uh, because of that, they're seeing a massive, massive increase in the numbers of people going into petty dinners. People who never would have gone, wouldn't even have entertained them to have thought about going to petty dinners uh, to look for, for money. And that, unfortunately, is the sad reality of the Ireland that we live in today because of this cost of living crisis that we're living in. And OK, one of the government, and we certainly had David Stanton talk about the government doing their bit. They have put 11 billion uh, was what was the last budget was announced to, to, help, to help people out. But I was reading in the Irish Daily Mail today that an expert from a state body, this is the Economic and Social Research Institute, the ESRI, has coming has already come out and said that the one-off measures that are starting to kick in from this week, this is the first week, for example, that people on social welfare are getting the extra bonus uh, week. Um, this expert is saying that more of them are going to be uh, required. It's Dr. Karina Dooley, Dorley, sorry, of the ESRI. She was speaking to the Oireachtas Committee on Budgetary Oversight and she said that when the one-off measures in this budget are taken away, those on the lowest incomes will still be the worst off and that's going into next year. Dr Dorley said that while on average there were income gains across society, those reliant on social welfare were likely to actually see a loss in uh, income. And she spoke about people like pensioners. She spoke about people like lone parents. She said they're likely to experience average income losses. 
She said that the policymakers may need to consider benchmarking social welfare payments once the inflation crisis has passed to ensure that they provide adequate income for recipients because at the moment, in all cases, it's not providing an adequate income for the people who are living solely on social welfare. She added that there may be a need for further once-off cost of living measures as we head into the winter of next year, 2023. She said that's if price rises, particularly the energy-related ones, if they persist into next year. And it's like um, trying to look into the future, trying to look into a crystal ball. Nobody knows what the energy prices of energy is going to be this time next year. And also speaking at the Oireachtas uh, Committee on Budgetary Oversight was the Head of Social Justice Ireland, gentlemen we've spoken with many times, Dr Sean Healy. He said that the budget is actually going to widen the gap between the rich and poor. He said the vast majority of tax changes support higher earners. Now he went, you know, he was saying 1.28 billion was allocated to tax initiatives in this budget, but he said we regret that 67% of those resources are devoted to income tax changes they were allocated to benefit the higher rate. He said these are permanent changes unlike a major part of the resources the temporary, the one-off ones uh, they were the ones that were allocated to the poorer people in our uh, society and I also read that Dr Stephen Kinsler who's Head of Economics at the University of Limerick, he's also warning that the budget did not look enough to the future. He said Budget 23 is focused almost exclusively on today's problems. He said that's completely understandable. He knows where the government are coming from. He said, however, it leaves us in a bit of a quandary because many of the problems that we actually have to solve as a, a country are longer term structural problems. The problems are not going to disappear overnight. And Dr Kinsler of University of Limerick has warned that inflation was expected to be with us until 2025 and that because of that economic growth would slow to as little as 1.2% next year. He said people feel like things are not getting any better if anything they're getting slightly worse. So the warnings are already coming out to the government that while the measures, the one-off measures they put in place, they're great and they will solve initial problems for this winter and early into next year but it looks like they may have to do the same all over again next year and will they have the money to do it only time will tell 0818 103 103 John Paul taking your calls you can text our WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie Larnian District Historical Society are presenting an illustrated lecture titled The Mystery of Dr James Barry The Woman Who Fooled the British Empire It's on tonight 8 o'clock in Skullmirrigan Small that's the secondary school in Blarney The speaker tonight is Anne Toomey All are welcome and you can find out more at Blarney History.ie. Cadollery Community Lotto, their next draw is this afternoon at four. The jackpot, €5,700, with tickets still on sale in all local outlets and at the community office. And the Hen Harrier Project, they're presenting a public information meeting on Acres Cooperation in Kilavollen. It's in the community centre tonight at half past seven. It's for farmers with land in the Nagels area. Valley de Hob Community Hall are presenting a one-act play by John Dowie. It's in it's called Jesus My Boy. It's on tomorrow Friday at 8 o'clock. It's suitable for children aged 12 plus. Admission 10 euro and all proceeds going to the Valley de Hob Union of Parishes. And the Convent Primary School in Mallow are holding an 80s, 90s and noughties disco. 
in the courtyard at the Arches in Mallow tomorrow night, Friday. Doors will open at half eight. Tickets are priced at €10 Euro and proceeds are going to my canine companion. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Interesting when we were talking about what David Stanton had mentioned that back in the early 70s, there was two years of daylight saving where we didn't, we stayed in summertime, we didn't go back into wintertime and it was because there was an energy crisis at the time, a worldwide energy crisis, but it was very much affecting this country. Martin in Mitchellstown says he clearly remembers that uh, when we stayed in summertime in the early 70s, he said there was light up to 6pm a week after Christmas. He said it was terrific to have the bright evenings, but Martin says he also remembers on the radio news at the time uh, of the trial that the ESB were giving out. They weren't happy at all because because everybody's electricity bills had come down and they weren't able, and of course the ESB at the time were the only energy provider uh, so they were not making as much profits as they would have done when we had the longer, the darker uh, evenings. Martin says he clearly remembers that. Thank you Martin. You have a great memory. 0818103103. Now I want to go to the phone lines because Jonathan in Bandham has uh, contacted us. Good afternoon to you Jonathan. Now, I'm very well and and you're welcome. This is to do with a school transport issue concerning your son, but this is slightly different to the young people who can't get on the bus because they can't get concessionary tickets and there isn't enough um, uh, school buses and all of that. This is, your son has special needs. He he does, yeah. He was diagnosed with autism when he was five. Okay. Um, And he's 12 now, going on 13. He's in um, secondary school in Dunmanway. And we live in Bandon Town um, because we couldn't get a place from in, in, in any secondary school in Bandon. Um, so when we eventually got a place in Dunmanway, he was promised transport and an, and an escort. Um, initially said, like, they didn't get the paperwork, so I had to resend it. And they said they, they received it on the 31st of August, so they said it was a late application. Um, so we're the 20th of October now. Um, and I'm still driving up to school, so I'm I'm at a loss. I don't know where in the system he is, or you know. So talk me uh, through your day. What time? What time are you leaving Bandon at? Oh, we we Sebastian will have to be up at seven. We'd have to be going out of Bandon at, at ten past eight at, at the latest because um, I'd have to allow for the trucks. You know, going to the Carberry yeah. factory. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it'll take us forty minutes to get there, and I've clocked it in the car. It's, it's, 31 kilometres each way. So that, that's a round trip each day of um, 124 kilometres. <sighs> so, so then you, you you drop your son off and then are you working? No, and that's, no. that's the thing. I, I'm, I'm qualified as a, a special needs assistant. So I'm in the process of looking for work. But I, I can't get work, you see, because I'm still taking my son to school. So I have to, like, I, I, if I was offered a job, the school is, isn't in a position, you know, I, I can't sit or I, I can't come in till half nine because, you know, I'm taking my son to school. You know, like if you get a job in a school, you're normally starting at half eight. And then you and then so you, you'd have to, you, and you have to be back outside the school gates. Yeah, oh yeah, that's the other thing. I'd have to be back, back at the school gates for uh, 20 to four in the afternoon because they come out around 10 to four. So your day yeah. at the moment is taken up with driving your son to school and then you obviously you come home again, do you? Well, yeah. Otherwise, like there's a whole day. You can't, yeah. And then you're watch, you're watching the clock to leave again at what time in the afternoon? 
Um, I'd, I'd have to, well, I normally give it about an hour, so I'd, I'd leave around half two. So I, I basically spend about three hours a day on the road just to go to and from school. Are you been? Are you getting money for the diesel or your petrol? Is oh, that no, no, you see, that's, that's the other thing. It, it, the thing is, like, we, we were dealing with the Transport of Education, the Transport, or the Department of Transport. Um, I was informed that Sebastian, my son, he, he's entitled to two transport. And I was given two choices that I could be paid for the mileage, um, or which, which is paltry, really, because it's 39 cents per kilometre, and it reduces after 6,500 kilometres to 22 cents per kilometre. <laughs> Could you, uh, you wonder so like who comes I, up with these, uh, these I, I, calculations? I'm, I'm, but anyway. <laughs> I'd love to know because I'm, yeah. I'm spending eight hours a week on diesel, and I'm only I'm surviving on two hundred eight hours a week carers allowance. So I'm eating in I'm eating into already small budget, and the killing part is like that. I was thought he was entitled to it. Well, he is but, entitled but, to it. He, I mean, that, he, yeah, he, he is. Like, I mean, okay. Like, in the ideal world, you you would have got a school locally that you could have dropped him off at the gate. Exactly. You know, the, exactly. Yeah. Okay, but yeah. they are ideal world doesn't exist, and we know no. those places are really hard to get. I mean, you were trying to yeah. St. Brogan's, I take it. Was that where, where you tried to get him yeah. into? Yeah, I tried to get him into St. Brogan's because St. Brogan's and Colossian and Torbertha were the only two out of the four secondary schools in Bandon that have AC places, and both of them were, he was number 27 on the waiting list in St. Brogan. 27? Um, 27, yeah. So, like, I don't know what the government are doing because they, they know all these children are coming out of autism. Classes, placement. yeah, yeah. And they're looking to get into secondary school and it's like, oh, we'll throw a rock in the air and we'll see who we hit, who's going to come in here, you know? It's, it's like a lucky dip. And it's yeah, crazy. The, yeah, this and was... The thing, the, the thing about it, like, Sebastian, I'm lucky because he loves the school in Dunmanway. He's getting on really well. He's actually do- doing better than what I expected because I thought the transition for him would be too much. Um, but it, 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 the, the transport thing that, that's affecting us. And at what, the moment, now what, 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 would be, what, what would be the perfect arrangement? Is it a school bus or is it a taxi? Well, I, I was speaking to John Paul and I said that, like the school buses seem to come as far as Ballinine and Inneskeen. Uh, is he... Sebastian would be the only child travelling from Bandon because normally every child in Bandon would be going to a secondary school in Bandon. So um, I spoke to the school principal about it and he said in the past pupils would have to get a, a taxi all the way from their, their home place to the school, you know. He'd be, he'd be entitled to an escort, wouldn't he, on the bus? Oh, he, yeah, yeah. It, it, he is entitled to an escort as well because the child psychologist had put that in place. And, and they know all this and it's all... You know, it's all been submitted. All I'm getting back is that, oh, he, he has been sanctioned the route, but, you know, Boss Aaron will be in contact with you. But I'm thinking, when, you know, when are they going to be in contact so with it's, me? So it's Boss Aaron is who you're waiting on, is it? They're, they're, they're telling me now that I'm waiting on Boss Aaron, yeah. So I've been dealing with the Department of Education. I've been dealing with the Department of Transport. They said they've done their bit, and now I have to wait for... Boss Aaron to come back have, to me. Have you tried to make contact with Boss Aaron? I'd say some part, nobody answers the phone. You, you send emails. Yeah. You send emails. You might get one back next week. If I get an email, I'm bang on it. Like I'm, sent, I'm replying straight away, thinking, oh, they'll come back to me if I reply straight away, but no. 
Okay, wait another I, week, then another two weeks. I'm I'm assuming as we speak, John Paul, if he hasn't already, is is sending out emails to see if we can get. Now I know they'll probably oh, come back and, and say. And, and uh, he was asking me too about local politicians. Yeah. And I have to say that I got on to Michael Collins, and and I got on to all of them, but Michael Collins is the most productive. He 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 was back to me within half an hour, and what he did was he sending say? Emails. Yeah. yeah, he was sending emails, like, but he, he can only, only push things you, off there. But you, know, you look, so. every single politician and councillor this year with the school buses for people trying yeah. to get it, every single one of them are are inundated. I mean, I actually feel, yeah. particularly for the people who work in the offices of, of our politicians, I mean, they just must be spending whole days doing nothing else but trying to get onto bus air and trying to get onto the Department of Education to get, to get it yeah. sorted. But your situation is very different to the situation where the free bus was allocated to everybody and that created a problem. Your yeah, son it's, 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 is entitled... It's, 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 is yeah. entitled to transport. And the yeah. very fact that he is entitled to a taxi, I can't understand why you, th- that somebody in Boss Aaron doesn't ring you and says to you, Jonathan, go organise the taxi, let us know which taxi company you're using and then we'll pay them. I mean, surely it's as easy as that. That's, that's, that's what I keep thinking and I'm, I'm at a loss to, to, you know, to not know why. You know, it's, it's just frustrating at, at this stage, you know, because there there are so many like job offers out there that I could be taking up, but I can't because I can't commit to anything. Well, schools are schools are screaming out for SNAs. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like you know, like, like I had a I had an interview in a school in Dunmanway. I didn't get it. Like, but I, if I had that, I could have. You know, it would have been perfect. You know. Yeah, but but you you'd be you'd, but even to have a school in Dunmanway, you would be. You couldn't. You couldn't be yeah. dropping off, and because no. the timing wouldn't work. You, you can't yeah, leave thought, if you're an yeah. SNA in a class. You can't leave. And say, Sorry, you got to go and collect my son now. I mean, it wouldn't yeah, work. Know, you know what I mean? Know. It just yeah. it wouldn't. Still, it really yeah. wouldn't work. Uh, you yeah. really are in, in in a pickle and, and, and a dilemma. Um, and Camille, he's Sebastian is getting on well. You, you're saying yeah, that's the thing. That's all down to the school itself. Like it's fantastic school. It's Maria Macalasa. Yeah, great school. Brilliant school, yeah. He's a fantastic SNA, uh, fantastic teacher. The principal is, you know, it's a great school. And it, in a roundabout kind of way, it worked out well that, that it was that school because mm. he, he he was first in the waiting list for that school because when we when we failed to get a place in Bandon, I was advised by the special education needs officer to apply to all schools in West Cork, you know, with, with a unit. And... Very few of them got back to me because they had the excuse of that he's outside the catchment area or whatever, you know. But should they probably but, had waiting list and knew you'd be wasting your time? That's it. That's it. But Don Manway didn't said uh, he is first on the waiting list. So literally the last day before the Christmas holidays last year, uh, we got a letter from MICC saying that he'd been accepted because somebody else didn't take the place, you know. Great, Chris, so he, great he, Christmas present in your household. Oh, geez, <laughs> I, could, I was doing cartwheels in the front garden. Yeah, yeah, God, yeah. You know, and you know, you're, you're right about um, planning. This it, it frustrates the life out of me, particularly every time we fill in the census from the Central Statistics Office. The boys and girls at the Central Statistics yeah, Office are amazing, yeah. and they ask yeah. quite detailed questions. And there's been a section for many, many years on who in your household has various disabilities and you tick all of the boxes. So they know from via the Central Statistics Office the, the, the it's actually there in black and white in front of them how many children have autism, how many children are deaf, yeah. how many children are wheelchair users. It's all there in front of them in black and white. So they know in any one area we are going to have 
eight children with autism that are going to leave primary school at the end of yeah. whenever. And yet, yeah. and yet it's almost like they scratch their heads going, oh, we didn't know there was that many children. Yeah. Just, yeah. I, that, I that, can't. That's, that's what I can't figure out because yeah. even in Bandon itself, they have like a specially devoted um, autism um, school up, you know, um, Convent Hill and I don't know how many are in that class. There must be 20 or 30 with autism or special needs. I was, where, where are all those children supposed to go if they're telling me in the secondary school, oh, we've only six places? Yeah. No? Yeah. It's, 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 six? I, I yeah. 20 doesn't go into six. It doesn't come yeah, up with, with saying, an even that's number. That's what I'm saying, yeah. yeah uh, and it, what primary school? Where did Sebastian go for oh, primary he, school? He went, he went to a mainstream primary oh, he's school. mainstream, okay. Yeah, because by the time he got his diagnosis, he was already after starting in okay. primary school. But as soon as he got his diagnosis, age five, then the thing slowly came into place like he was entitled to an SNA, yeah. um, to, you know, resource teaching. And, so he's do- he, and he's doing well. He's doing well in the school, subject-wise and everything. Yeah, he, he loves MICC because I suppose secondary school, you're doing more subjects. Yeah. Um, when he goes back then and he does his core subjects, there's only a group of six. Then you see the smaller group where, as in, in primary school, he was in with 25, 26. Yeah. So I think I think he he's he's thriving because he he's more relaxed. His anxiety is more reduced because he's in the smaller number. Isn't that fantastic? And, and, if and you could think, just get this issue yeah. with the transport sorted, life would be rosy. Well, sure, like, life would be. That, it, it, it it feels like a simple thing to ask for, but. You know, oh, no. it's not happening at Okay, well, we'll bang out the emails, see if we can okay. get, get any kind of an answer and keep in contact with us. And uh, That's uh, uh, hopefully, hopefully some good news uh, soon. In the meantime, well done. You're, you're a great dad. And uh, continue good luck to Sebastian uh, in school. And thanks for jo- joining okay. us on the program. Uh, th- thanks, Patricia. Uh, g- good afternoon to you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Uh, I tell you, some families really have it tough. They're, they really do. I mean, expecting somebody whose whole life is revolving around dropping his child and collecting him from school. Not good enough when he's entitled, when young Sebastian is entitled to the public transport. 0818 103 103. John Paul, taking your calls. If you have a pet question, please, for Jane Pickett, our resident vet, now is the time to uh, call us. You can text her WhatsApp 0862. 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, uh, joining me. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you're very welcome. Let's get straight in with questions. Firstly, a number of people have been on about their dogs being spooked by the thunder and lightning over the last uh, few days. And somebody else was on about fireworks and crackers that are going off in their area starting early, but it's the run up to Halloween. Uh, Any advice on trying to keep dogs from getting frightened? Okay, so this is this is a an issue that always comes back to haunt us at this time of the year. Um, I think the main thing, first and foremost, is if there is storms anticipated or if we're hitting kind of one of those points where there might be bangers or fireworks going off, make sure your dog is secure inside the house. Make sure they can't escape. And then we can deal with trying to lower their stress level. So first, make sure they're safe. I think really a helpful thing to do is our attitude. Um, can be really influential influential on the dog. So try and remain calm yourself. 
if the dog or cat sees us constantly going over and looking at them and kind of, you know, talking to them like they should be scared, they feed off that and they think, oh, well, my owner, my human is is a little bit anxious, so maybe I have something to be anxious about. So the calmer we can remain or even put on an act of calmness in the face of a storm or something you think would um, cause a, a fear or stress reaction in your pet, that will help them to begin with. Other things we can do are we can play kind of calming music, maybe a little bit louder than usual, but not absolutely blaring. Normally something classical or very ambient is really helpful or even sometimes the TV. Um, I would also suggest giving them somewhere quiet and safe and secure to hide if they wish. I think locking them into certain parts of the house, I suppose obviously we need to keep them in the house and secure so they can't run away, but maybe confining them to a room if that's not their normal situation in a situation where they might be fearful is sometimes not the best idea. Sometimes they'll want to be with the family if that's what makes them feel comfortable. Sometimes they'll want to hide away. So give them both options. Give them the option of being with you if that's appropriate, but also give them the option of retreating to a quiet room and maybe create them a little den. So sometimes um, if they have a crate or a little bed where they are, putting more blankets around it can sometimes dampen the sound a little bit. Um, so making kind of, let's say, a little, a little bit of a fort of pillows beside or around the crate and a little blanket over it. Just make sure there's good airflow so it doesn't overheat in there, but sometimes that can dampen the sound a little bit as well. Also, other things you can do are pheromone diffusers. So they're chemicals that um, are kind of hormonal, but we won't smell them at all in the air. They don't affect us. But for cats, for example, and dogs, there's different ones on the market that sometimes will stimulate, stimulate when they were young and when they were with their mom and they felt really secure. And that can sometimes help them out a little bit. It is a difficult time. I think just make sure that they're really secure. And I suppose in advance of any other storms, make sure that your pet's microchip details are up to date. So that God forbid, should they get out and run away and get scared, that if they turn up, um, they will be able to be scanned a microchip detail which are up to date and reunited with you very swiftly so and also if your pet's not microchipped at this point it's a good time to do yeah that. because we'll so be we'll be advice. inundated with dogs that have uh, have gone missing for sure Absolutely. okay uh, question for jane please i have a 12 month old german shepherd pup he's absolutely gorgeous but he's always begging for food even after a big fe- feed he'll just beg and beg and beg beg he's up to date with everything worm doses all of that he's not lacking in anything he doesn't have worms but he'd melt you the way his big eyes would look up at you uh, would um, would Jane have any advice please <laughs> oh this is a difficult one when they're real cuties like that and they're they're you know trying to make themselves look extra cute with those big puppy dog eyes looking for snacks it's very difficult to refuse I think it sounds like you've covered all of the basics. You've made sure that his routine healthcare was up to up to date and everything sounds good there. There's no worms that might be causing any problems. If your pet is an adequate weight, so if their body condition is good and normal, they don't look too thin or too fat, then your feeding is probably bang on. That's good. In a growing pet, that can actually be quite difficult to achieve. So if you have any concerns that your pet might be, let's say, hungry and it is genuine hunger and they might require more food before increasing their food, I'd have a chat with your vet or your local vet nurse and maybe get them to assess their weight and body condition just to make sure that that's not an issue. It doesn't sound like it is here. I think it may really just be that you have a dog that's super, super food motivated and really loves his snacks. And now is the time to really be quite disciplined with that. So an odd treat every now and again is okay. But we know that obesity is one of the biggest factors influencing disease progression in dogs over their lifetime. It can really, really impact everybody's system. So you don't want to start your young and lovely pet off on the road to to getting a little bit tubby. So restraint with the treats at this point will be a good idea. 
What I will say is, though, if you have a dog that's very food motivated, you might have a really great and constructive time, both distracting your pet from wanting snacks, but also engaging their for brain training. OK, training. I, I'm going to have to leave you. We're unfortunately over on time. We'll come back to this next week. Jane, thank you for that. And uh, we'll talk again next week. That's Jane Pickett from the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital. Court today the With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Confidence starts with loving who you are, and when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate neutral certified so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin glow from the inside out get 10% off your first order with code glow at oseamalibu.com that's o-s-e-a malibu.com code glow